This message was recorded at Devoted Leaders, a leadership conference hosted by Christ Central. Christ Central is a family of churches served by an apostolic team led by Jeremy Simpkins. We work with over 275 churches in more than 25 nations and are part of the wider New Frontiers family. For more details about Christ Central, please visit ChristCentralChurches.org. Well, what an amazing time we're having already. Uh, It's thrilling, isn't it, to better join together. And if you're joining us on the live link right now, uh, we're so thrilled, uh, wherever you are in the world, to be joining us. We're just so overwhelmed by God's presence. Isn't it great to be back together? Isn't it great to be in a room like this, worshipping the Lord Jesus, hearing his voice? And if you've got a Bible, I wonder if you would straight away turn to the book of Joshua. I felt over the last six months, God's really spoken to me out of this book and out of the narrative of the transition that's just happened from Moses' leadership through the wilderness, what a magnificent leader Moses was, what incredible exploits the people of God saw and did in the wilderness. But there's a transition that's going to happen now from Moses' leadership to Joshua's leadership and they're going to have to do things very differently. And I feel we're in that season right now. We're in this transition of coming out of the pandemic, coming out of coronavirus, coming out of very difficult times in the church, and we're coming into something new. It's interesting, Ginny was prophesying to us before, and she said this, it's like we've been in limbo. It's like we've been caught in between two things. It's like we're waiting for something to resolve or reset. Do you feel that? It's like we've come out of something, but we're not quite sure what we're in yet. I love this book, and I'm not going to give it away. (laughs) By Mark Sayers. I don't know if any of you have read this. It's on the bookstall. It's called A Non-Anxious Presence. (laughs) Can you put that in the bookstall? (laughs) It's written by a guy called Mark Sayers, who actually was the guest speaker of our global New Frontiers family of apostolic leaders together last year. And Mark says this about this sense of being caught in limbo and in between these two worlds. He says this, we've not yet entered a new era. And he's writing out of the pandemic. It was published a month ago. He's writing right now. He says, we've not yet entered a new era. Instead, We've entered an in-between phase. Isn't that interesting, Ginny? The same language that you used. A grey zone, he calls it. Grey zones exist in the overlap of two eras. They're confusing and contradictory. Do you feel that sometimes? I'm just a bit confused. Things, Things aren't like they used to be. They're different. They're contradictory. But... Grey zones are moments that often precede renewal, rebirth, and revival. And I believe we are being positioned by God. It's like we've been in the desert. It's like in the desert, things are just provided for you. I mean, all you do in the desert is you wake up in the morning, you check to see if the cloud has moved. Does it move? Do we pack it up? And the cloud doesn't move very often, actually. For 40 years, it moves a few times, but not that often. I think I've moved house more than the clouds moved. And it's like, is the cl- no, the cloud's not moving. We're okay. Stay put. Let's go and gather some manna, and we'll do it all again tomorrow. And you might be provided quail. You might be provided water from the rock. But you really don't have to do an awful lot. It's provided for you. And Moses was this amazing leader. He knew God. He spoke with God face to face. He was led us. He's, he's such a hero. He led us out of Egypt. He led us through the desert. It's been an amazing time. But now we come to this transition moment, and we're on the borders of the promised land. And Moses has gone and died. Very inconvenient. And now Joshua is leading us. And this promised land has all sorts of challenges. It has all sorts of cities, but we're going to have to fight and take them. 
He has all sorts of lands and vineyards and farms, but we've got to go and do some hard work. It's got all sorts of communities, but we've got to go and live and build communities together. It's going to be very different from it was in the wilderness. We're in this in-between stage on the precipice of a new era. So if you've turned already to the book of Joshua, let's just read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, I don't think he'd ignore them, wasn't he? Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the River Jordan into the land I'm about to give them and to the Israelites. And I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to take, able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses. Wasn't that a great prophetic word from Chris earlier? I am with you. I am with you. So I will be with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave to you. Don't turn from it to the right or the left that you might be successful wherever you go. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Third time. Be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Lord, we bring your word to you. We thank you. This is your timeless word. Although we feel we're moving from one era to another era. We thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever and your mercies are new every morning, but you're the same. And you're steadfast, and you're faithful, and you're with us, Lord. And we just today want to put our trust and our confidence and our faith in you afresh. And we say, just speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I, kind of, I think this, is, this challenge, this stepping into a new era, this stepping out of the in-between from one thing to another, is actually going to involve new style of leadership. It's like Moses is dead. And there's a new style. A new, God's raising up a new kind of leader. I listened to a podcast recently. One of my favorite authors is uh, Dane Ortland. His new book is on the bookstall. But his dad, Ray Ortland, has done a magnificent podcast uh, with a friend of ours, Sam Albury. I don't know whether you've been listening uh, to that. It's really magnificent. And he said this recently. He said he had to say to his church once, during a time of transition, during a time of change, he said this, this church needs a new leader. I mean, he was the leader. He said, this church needs a new leader. And he said, and by the grace of God, I want to be that leader. In other words, God changes us. He's the God of change. He's the God who brings new things out. It's interesting, I was just reading through myself, through Samuel, and came across this verse recently, 1 Samuel 10. And it's one of those verses you kind of forget, because in the Old Testament, Saul isn't necessarily seen as a great king. He's kind of a bit of a baddie. But this verse was just magnificent because actually God's hand was on Saul. And it said this in 1 Samuel 10, The Spirit of the Lord will come on you, Saul, and you will be changed into a different person. And as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart. God changed Saul's heart. God's about a business of change. And I believe God's starting to change what the expression of leadership is going to look like in this in-between phase, in this grey zone, as we move out of something and we move into the promised land, into something new. And I think there's some things that are going to have to go. I think platform-led leadership, says he on a platform. I kind of thought that as I was preparing this. It's going to sound a bit strange. But this sense of the superhero 
God's man or woman or man of power for the hour, that sense of, you know, I'm the one with all the answers, I'm the one with all the abilities, I'm the one who's got it. That's got to change. There's got to be a new type of leader raised up. Leaders who are faithful, long-suffering, patient, in for the long haul. Leaders who are servant-hearted, willing to get their hands dirty. Leaders who are accountable, vulnerable, transparent. Leaders who are into genuine disciple-making, modeling, training, and equipping in team, just like they did in the New Testament. I believe God's aligning us much more with his word. Because we're going to have to live very differently in this in-between phase. And if we're going to move out of the in-between phase into the promised land, we're going to have to fight some fights, we're going to have to farm some land, and we're going to have to raise up some families, three Fs. <laughs> so let me just give you four things that I feel God, out of this passage, spoke to me, that as leaders, we need to walk in. And it was what was spoken to Joshua for this time, for this season. I believe God is speaking to us. Number one, leaders with freshly devoted hearts. That's what this two, three days is all about. It's about our hearts. It's about aligning our devotion to him. It's, uh, as somebody so brilliantly said this morning, it's about our first love, coming back to him, him having our hearts again. And over the last couple of years, we've been so tested, haven't we? It's been such a tough time. I mean, it's interesting that phrase, be strong and courageous, comes three times. I imagine the first time Joshua's kind of encouraged. Oh, it's good, be strong and courageous, yes. Second time, be strong and very courageous. Yeah, I kind of heard you the first time. Third time, it's like, oh my goodness, I'm really going to need this. It's like, we're really going to need the character of strength and courage. And I think it's been so difficult. We reflect on this this morning, didn't we? We said it's been so difficult coming through and leading through COVID. I've never had to lead anything like it, have you? It's been so different. It's been, there hasn't been a rule book for it. It hasn't been a pattern for it. It's been so different and difficult with the rules, with the regulations, with the guidelines. Should we? Shouldn't we? How do we do this? How do we do that? How much do we lose? How much do we fight for? How much do we stand up against? How much do we submit to the authorities? So many questions. So many difficulties. And there's a game we reflected this morning, this sense of something trying to suck life out of us. And this weekend, or this week, being about God putting life back into us. I believe God wants to put these character traits back into us and strengthen us in these character traits. This sense of strength and courage. Courage comes from the, the French word, the, the Latin root core, which means the heart. And God wants to strengthen your hearts these three days. He wants to speak to you about your heart that sense of your, your passions, your appetites, your mind, your emotions, your will. See, God's given you a new heart, promised you that in Ezekiel. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your old heart of stone and give you a soft heart of flesh and put my spirit in you to move you to follow my decrees. But the problem with our new hearts is they're housed in this body of flesh, this sinful body with its own appetites and desires. And there's a sense in which we've got to guard our hearts. We've got to maintain our hearts. We've got to work on our hearts. It's about a thousand small decisions. Isn't it interesting how many leaders, I mean, it's so sad to reflect, friends, colleagues, national leaders, how many spiritual leaders have fallen over these last two or three years, mostly not in areas of doctrine or faith, but in the areas of heart and character and integrity. There was a prophetic word this morning about some giving in to addictions, about God speaking to us. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the last century, or century before that actually, <laughs> He used to speak about the seeds of every sin being in every human heart, every, every, everyone. All, he spoke to his church said, the seeds of every sin are in all of your hearts. He said, your responsibility is not let them grow. Your responsibility is to prick them out. Your responsibility is to garden the heart that God has given you, maintain your heart. In case you don't think that's biblical, it's actually incredibly biblical. 
Paul writes to Timothy, he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Now, we're pretty good at watching our doctrine, school of leadership. But actually, it says, watch your life, watch your heart, watch your character. James 4, verse 8, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. That's a great verse. We use it in worship. Draw near to God. Let's draw near to God. He's going to draw near to us. Next verse. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Come on, wash your hands. Come on, purify your hearts. Come on, watch those things. Come on, prick out those things that come into your heart. Learn to do it. Learn to walk in integrity. Learn to walk in accountability. Learn to walk in vulnerability. Learn to walk in transparency. It's a new type of leadership God is raising up. And stop hiding things. You know, one of the root meanings of the word occult, or oh, occult, dreadful, sinful, one of the root meanings of the word occult is secret and hidden. Those secret things you hold on to, those secret appetites, that secret thing that's happening in your heart. I believe even in these two or three days, God just wants to put his spotlight on our hearts and root out of things that would later become destructive. It said about David, King David, it said he shepherded them, Psalm 78, He shepherded them with integrity of heart and skill of hand. And we often talk about skills, how to do this, how to do that, and it's good. We want to skill people. We want to train people, equip them in all works of righteousness and how to handle the word of God with truth and integrity. But actually, it's about the integrity of hearts that I believe God wants to put his spotlight on in this conference. It's interesting that word integrity means to be one, integral, to mean all, all together, to be of one, not to be divided into compartments, not to say, well, that's a private matter. That's, you see that in public life, don't you? Well, that's just, that's my private life. This is my public life. No, actually, God wants there to be no difference. He wants there to be no compartments between our private life and our public life. He wants to be no difference between how we behave and how we are in the family or in the home, or when we're on our own, when nobody's watching, to how we are in public life, how we are before people. To be one integrous person, to have integrity. If I was to say the one need of the church today is leaders of integrity. Not even leaders of anointing necessarily, although I do believe in anointing, and God will give anointing. But the point of anointing is it comes just like that. It's like the Christmas tree. The Christmas tree doesn't tell you how healthy the tree was. In fact, it's a dead tree, if you haven't noticed. Or if you're really, really sinful, a plastic one. Raj. It doesn't tell you, it just tells you how good the giver is. It just tells you how all the gifts, the baubles, just tell you how great the decorator is. I mean, gifts, they're easy to receive. You can, just receive. you can receive anointing. You can receive gifts just like that. This is much more about the apple tree that bears fruit. God's interested in fruitfulness of life and ministry. So important. I heard a story recently of the, the ship, the Titanic. Uh, you may have heard this story. I think uh, it's Rick Warren that tells the story. And he says, when they built the Titanic in Belfast... He said it was new technology. And the reason they said this ship is unsinkable, it's not, it wasn't supposed to test the elements in Hastings. Natalie and I grew up in Hastings. So, I don't know if you remember this, Natalie, but they once produced glass bus shelters. Do you remember this? Oh, it's before your time. Anne will remember it. They produced these glass bus shelters. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be pointed. They produced these glass bus shelters and they said in the Hastings and St. Leonard's Observer or whatever it is, the local press, they said, these bus shelters are unshatterable. It's a pebble beach in Hastings. I tell you, by the next week, every single young guy had gone out there and, tried, and they were all destroyed. They, they, yeah. But it wasn't like that with the Titanic. It's like, this ship is unsinkable because modern technology, in whatever it was, 1912, was that the hull 
of the ship was no longer just one space, one compartment. Because if you have one compartment and you rip into it, you're sunk. No, this is 16 compartments. And they reckon, the scientists who are very clever in 1912, they said, actually, you could rupture not one, not two, not three, not four. Probably you'd have to rupture five compartments to make the ship unsinkable. So when it went down, as it hit the iceberg, the common mythology was that at least five compartments were ruptured. Well, some of you have seen the film, and you know that in 1985, they rediscovered the wreck of the Titanic and sent down all sorts of research to it. Guess how many compartments they found were ruptured? Just the one. It only needs one. It only needs one compartment to go, and the whole thing goes down. And Rick Warren makes this brilliant comment. Don't make the titanic mistake of dividing your lives into different compartments. The life of integrity is one that is not divided into compartments. Let me challenge you. Let the Lord challenge you. Let the Spirit of God convict you. Where is it in your life right now that needs attention in your heart? Because in this day, God wants leaders who are freshly devoted in his heart, who are strong and courageous. Secondly, leaders who are freshly devoted to the word of God, who are freshly devoted to God's promises. It's interesting what God says to Joshua. Be careful to obey the Lord. Don't turn from it left or right. Don't let this book depart from your mouth. Meditate in it. Chew on it. Eat it. Ruminate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. This is not just being stoic. It's not just stirring ourselves up and saying, come on, guys, be strong, pull yourself together. No, this is being strong in what God has said. It's just being strong on God's word. It's actually our values are being challenged by the world day by day in so many different areas. But actually, we need fresh convictions about the word of God and its relevance today. It says this in verse 3, I'll give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised. I will give you every place you set your foot, as I promised. It's not, well, have a go. It's a promised land out there. You might get lucky. There's a, few, there's a few nice ones there, you know. No, I will give you success. If you follow my word, I will give you success wherever you put your foot as I promised. Verse 6, you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers. God had made promises. He's made promises to Abraham. He'd made promises to Isaac. He'd made promises to Jacob that he would give them the land. And that in the land, a light... For the Gentiles would emerge to bring blessing to the nations. That was God's promise. It was a context of actually you're going to inherit this little bit of real estate in the Middle East so that from that little bit of real estate in the Middle East, light might come to the rest of the whole world. It wasn't just about establishing some kingdom in the Middle East. It was about light coming to the rest of the nations, the rest of the world. And dear friends, God has sent us to the nations It's great this week, we're really focusing on the UK, we're focusing on strong local churches in the UK, but actually isn't it wonderful, every day we gather to have those videos from around the world, that we are not alone, independent, isolated, we're part of a big family, and if you're listening to this uh, as part of the live stream from one of the churches that are in relation to us around the world, we're so thrilled that we're a worldwide family. We're so thrilled that God wants us to go to all nations. So thrilled that actually in the, it's in the context of, see, Chris prophesied so brilliantly, I'm with you. We'll pick that up in a moment, actually. I'm with you. He prophesied that this afternoon. The context of Jesus saying that is, yes, I'm with you, even to the ends of the age, but he says this, the preceding verses, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go and make disciples of all nations, and I'll be with you. So he's with them in the going. And it's so important, dear friends, we get hold of these promises 
We get a hold of what God has said to his church about going to all nations, about going to all territories, wherever we put our foot. Whether that's, as we often say, the ends of the earth or the ends of your street or the ends of your comfort zone, wherever God is calling you to be the light of the world, step out in confidence. Know God's word, know God's calling, know what God has said to you. It's so important that we get hold of these promises personally and as, as, as churches and as families of churches, not just as a doctrine to understand the doctrine, but actually to get hold of them. To me, these promises are like door handles. Have you ever tried to open a door that doesn't have a handle? It's like, it's, 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 how do I get hold of it? Have a handle, it's easy. It's like promises. We get hold of a promise and we say, yes, Lord, I believe you're sending us there. Lord, I believe that's the territory you want us to have. Lord, I believe you want us to go with that. I believe you're going to fill us with the Spirit from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. You're with us, Lord. Get hold of these promises. Get hold of what God said. I love what Paul says to, as he writes in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Do you know what God's taken hold of you for? I'm going to take hold of it, says Paul. Light to the nations, gospel to the Gentiles. I'm taking hold of it because Jesus has taken hold of me for this. Do you know what your promises are? Do you know what your family inheritances are? Maybe individual promises that God wants to just breathe on afresh today. Might be corporate promises, old and new. It might be Numbers 14, 21. After the failure of Kadesh by Nir, when they didn't go into the land, you get this incredible dawning of God's promise. And he says this, as surely as I live, all the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. All the earth. That village, that town, that city, that nation, that area, that housing estate, that office, that school, that place, all the earth. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2. In these last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. We've got so many mountains being raised up. So many mountains. You're not allowed to say this because of the mountain of tolerance. You're not allowed to say this because the mountain of sexual ethics. You're not allowed to say this because of cancel culture. You're not allowed to say that. No, the mountain of the Lord's temple, his house, his dwelling place, will be chief amongst all the mountains. All the mountains of greed and materialism and me first and I in the center. All of those, he's going to be raised up and he's going to raise a people up to reflect his glory. Isaiah 60 verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord arises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. You don't need to see an awful amount to realize that. And thick darkness is over the people, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. These are promises. The church just isn't a nice social club. It's the very dwelling place of God. It's the glory of God on planet Earth. And when you meet in your beautifully polished building or your scruffy little hall or your front room or your meeting on the street or wherever you are the glory of God comes and presences itself with you the glory of God is no longer in a box in a tent in a temple in the Middle East it's with his people the glory of God dwelling with us dear friends getting hold of these promises and light is going to shine in the darkness I don't know, how do you feel about there's such darkness at the moment, isn't there? It's moral darkness. I mean, literally calling right wrong and wrong right. And, I mean, how do you stand up against all this moral... How, this, how, it's getting dark out there. Well, that's so that your little light can shine very brightly. It's easier to shine bright in darkness, friends. 
Almost every revival, you read the book, read, read Mark Sutter's book, almost every revival has been preceded by a time of darkness and depression and difficulty and problems in a nation. But in that time, the people of God rise up to remember the promises of God. And they say, God, you've said we're not supposed to be this dwindling little group that just about keeps the home fires burning and hopes one day Jesus will come back again. No, actually, the light's going to shine. So God, shine your light in the church. Revive the church, that the church might revive a nation. The promises of God, getting hold of them. I think we're right on the edge of something. We're in this in-between, but we're not supposed to dwell in the in-between. Joshua wasn't supposed to dwell in the in-between. He was supposed to take the land. Every place where you plant your foot, the glory is going to come right. We'll take Jericho. Now, then they hit AI. Now, they fail on that. Why? Because they didn't obey the book. And there's a guy who wasn't integrous. And there's a guy who wasn't full of character. And God judges. But they repent and they get right. And they have victory again. They have victory again. They take land. God's going to call us to, even out of failures, even out of difficulties, even out of setbacks, You might feel I've missed it, I've messed up. No, come back to the book. Come back to God, get your heart right. And he's going to call you again to go, again to get hold of these promises. You know, we can do more together than we can on our own. We're not called to isolation and independence. We're called to be a together family of churches on a mission. We're called to change the expression of Christianity around the world around the world, as you're listening to this, around the world. We're called to change. These are, these are family silver. These are family promises. They're rooted in the word, but they're family promises to us. Do you remember a bow and arrow? Some of us moved north on that crazy word. God said about a bow being superimposed across the south of the UK where we were strong as a family, as a movement. Actually, as you pull that back into the heart as you pull that back into the north, as you pull that right back up north, and some of us move north on that promise, actually arrows are going to be sent to the ends of the earth. We were half a dozen churches in the north, if that, at that point. You think arrows, the ends of the earth? It's crazy. Now look, and there's hundreds of churches just associated with our family, let alone New Frontiers, which the promise was given to New Frontiers, the bigger family that we're part of. Probably, I don't know, 50, 100 churches at that point. Now, who knows? 2,000 plus churches around the globe. Arrows sent all over. Why? Because God is true to his word. He's true to his promises. He's spoken to us in the north about going from the north to the nations. And we could go on, but we won't. Number three. Leaders who are freshly devoted to the Spirit. I love what Chris prophesied earlier. I am with you. He didn't know what I was preaching on. But verse 5, it says this. As I was with Moses, so I'm with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Isn't it interesting? That same phrase Jesus uses when he commissions the disciples. And it's all about a people empowered by the Spirit on a mission together, a movement of churches or a movement of disciples working together. The same spirit that was on Moses is now on you, Joshua. The same spirit that was on Jesus is now on the disciples. The same spirit that was on the disciples is now on us. Not some modern light, toned down, politically correct version, but the same power, the same spirit, the same anointing, the same rush of the Spirit coming on us. Jesus said in John 14, the Father will give you another one to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, and he'll live in you, and he'll be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And Joshua, as this Christ-like figure, same name actually, Yeshua, Jesus, Joshua, same name, he would have been called Joshua in modern parlance, Jesus, It's not just a nice name. It carries something of taking this territory, of going to the nations. Same spirit, but a spirit of mission, a spirit of mobility, a spirit of movement. And we're now, this 
Joshua people. We're the in Christ people with the same propulsion of the spirit that was on the early church. And I just want to make some comments. I think we've lost some stuff in terms of the spirit, to be honest. That's why we're doing this event like we're doing this event. You think, why do we give two hours this morning to worship? Why are we going to give an hour and a half tomorrow and the next day just to worship? Is it because the band think they're really pretty cool? And by the way, they are really pretty cool. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> but it's not, it's, oh, do you like singing? No, we love the presence. We love it when he's with us. We love it when we encounter him. We love it when the spirit comes and fills us. And like Dave magnificently exhorted us in terms of singing in the spirit, when we sing together the song of heaven, when we're singing together these songs, the spirit comes, the sound of this many waters. It's that he inhabits the praises of Israel. He comes and dwells in the midst. God's with us. I mean, he's with us anyway. He's with us when you don't feel like it. But boy, does he feel like it when we're like this together. And you feel empowered and strengthened. That strength, courage, comes from encounters from the Spirit. And I think this pandemic has been a lack of us being Spirit-filled churches, if I'm honest. We've taught people how to be individualistic, even, dare I say, passive. We've taught them how to watch a TV screen and be at home, isolated, individual. We've taught them for a couple of years, on and off, how to do that. And we've cut things down. Oh, isn't it great now we have tw- only 20 minutes of a sermon? Isn't it great now we have only 20 minutes of a Isn't it great now we can, we can compress it? And I'm sure soon we won't be eating a meal. We're just having this tiny little pill and it'll be everything. Now, come and, come, and, come and feast. Feast on the word. Feast on his presence. Feast on him. We, we, we've got to learn again what it is to be the corporate people of God filled with the Spirit. It's so hard to find. You can find it. Somebody pointed, picked me up on it the other day when I said a similar thing. You can find isolated instances of the Spirit of God coming on an individual. I mean, actually, this is one of them. <laughs> Joshua. Spirit comes on him. But in the New Testament, pretty much all the encounters of the Spirit, pretty much all of them, are in a corporate body setting. And this idea, and I think we've taken a great doctrine and we've made it worldly, we've made it individualistic. Oh, we can be filled with the Spirit. Oh, I can be filled with the Spirit in my little quiet time now. I can be filled with the Spirit. Lord, fill me. And, and you know, that's good. I, I, I do that every day, by the way. And I ask him to, and he does. But that's not really the context of God filling a body, filling a temple, filling a community. It's about us being together empowered by the Spirit, together as the temple. And I think we've seen less filling. We've seen less participation in corporate worship, less receiving and using the gifts of the Spirit, and less power and impact. Dear friends, as we move out of this grey zone, as we move out of this in-between into the promised land, let's receive more of the Spirit. We've also actually been a bit inward-looking in these last couple of years. It's often as leaders, it's been about us, hasn't it? It's about what are the rules? How do we, how do, we do this thing? What do we get away with? How do we meet? How, how do we do our little church stuff? How do we care for our... And guys, you've been magnificent. Don't get me wrong. You've been brilliant. You've led in, with courage. You've led with innovation. You've given yourselves to find new ways to pastor. It's not a criticism of you at all. It's just to say that together we've lost something. We've lost something of the corporate filling, and we've lost something of being sent on a mission because we've had to be this kind of inward-looking people for a couple of years. And God is changing it. He's, there's a fulcrum. There's a, there's a pivot coming. Pivot. There's a pivot coming this weekend. This week. There's a pivot coming. Something's happening. Something's changing in our spirits. And I believe he's going to call us. And he's calling us to be a spirit-filled community that's on mission. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will. Not you might or could, or it's a nice idea. But you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. The Spirit always comes on for mission. 
Jesus never imagined the church doing the mission of Jesus without the empowerment of his spirit. He never imagined it that way. He was always with the empowerment of the spirit. And friends, we just need to come back. There's going to be plenty of opportunity these next couple of days just to be freshly empowered together. And we pray that you as leaders, and I'm sure you are doing this, would give fresh opportunity for people to be filled again. Don't assume, don't take it for granted. See, it used to be a real challenge to come to our sort of churches. I mean, it was a challenge to find us. It wasn't our church. It was a little scout hut tucked to the back of nowhere. You had to go through a council estate. And back through a, I mean, I'm supposed to go down this road, and oh, there they are. It was really hard to find us. And yet people did. They were hungry. They were thirsty. They had passion in their hearts for things of the Spirit. And you were persecuted. You were spoken against. You go to that church, do you? Well, you do know they're a cult. You do know they check your finances. You do know you're not allowed to buy a washing machine. You do know you don't... Television? Not colour, I hope. I mean, that was... It was challenge. We had to fight for some stuff. Now, we're the brightest in town. We're the biggest in town. It's easy to come. It's good. I want it to be easy. But I want it to be a spirit-filled church. I want it to be a church that's full of the spirit. There's such a danger of becoming an entertainment center. There's such a danger, like I said about the platform, there's such a danger of doing it well. Now, I don't want to do it badly. We want to do it well. We've done it well. These guys have done it well. They've practiced. They've they got extra lights in. They bought extra... They, 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 they did it. They've done it well. So that we might be an even more accessible, spirit-filled community. Not just so that we can put on a good show. Lastly, leaders who are freshly devoted to obedience. Willing to listen. Willing to hear. Willing to change. The story goes on. We haven't got time to look at it. If we had a series of messages, I could imagine a message now on consecration. Moving from Joshua encountering the Lord in Joshua 1 to 3 and 4, where they cross the Jordan and they consecrate themselves to him. They give him their hearts. They're circumcised. And you think that's a slightly weird thing. But actually, New Testament explains it very clearly. It's about circumcision of heart. It's about giving your heart. It's about being freshly devoted, freshly committed, freshly enlisted in his purposes. I'm signing up for this. I'm I'm in. We're, We're right in, Lord. We've left the desert behind, and oh my goodness, the Jordan's just closed. And we look out. The cloud doesn't seem to be moving, but God says move. Actually, there doesn't seem to be any manna left. The manna's gone. Oh, no, you go get your own now. You go and farm. You go and fight. It's different. But it's about obedience. And then we could talk about Joshua 5 and 6, about Joshua encountering the commander of the army of the Lord. Now, I don't know who that is, but all I know is this. He seems to be a man that Joshua worships. I don't know of any other man that we're called to worship other than the Lord Jesus. I think it's a theophany. I think it's an appearance of Jesus out of time. <laughs> Pre-incarnate. It's pretty glorious. It's pretty wonderful. And I love it because it says, and Joshua, he says, he was up early in the morning, and he said, and Joshua looked up. What does that imply to you? He was looking down. I think we're so tempted in this season to look down. We're so tempted in this season to look at us, to look at our resources. Again, I love what David Ash brought in our corporate worship time this morning when he said, see, can you see it? I wrote it down. Do you not see it? He says, can you see it? Can you see me? See, Joshua had to look up. Now, then he gets a bit confused. Are you with me? Are you, you with my enemies? And the brilliant answer comes back, No. It's like, wrong question, Joshua. And then he suddenly realized who he is. I come as captain of the Lord of hosts' army. And Joshua falls down and worships. 
encounters. Dear friends, these two days left, three days, we need to encounter Jesus. We need to encounter him above everything else. And, and, and we're just learning. I think we got it slightly wrong this morning by maybe allowing just a few too many contributions without first encountering. And sometimes we're just learning afresh. Oh, oh yeah, I used to do that well. Now I've, kind of learned, I've forgotten that. Oh, yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, we encounter first. <laughs> we look up first. And then once we've, we've, we've seen him, once we've got his attention, once we're seeing his face, he speaks. Oh, yeah, that's right. We don't, he doesn't speak first and then... We say, no, no, we, we encounter first. Oh, that's right, I remember that now. That's what we used to do at Devoted. All right, coming back, yeah, we encounter in our zeal to have gifts of the Spirit. It's not about gifts of the Spirit, it's about encounter. About encounter, encountering him. Look up, friends, look up. What do you see? Tomorrow you're going to hear a magnificent word by Nicky Gumbel. I have the privilege of seeing the word beforehand. Interestingly, I think Nicky heard my talk from Devoted 2021 online and pinched it. It's just so much better than mine. <laughs> he talks on the transfiguration of Jesus, which is exactly what I spoke on last year, if any of you ever remember. But he says, and the phrase that Nicky picks up, interesting, is the one I picked up. It's this thing. He said, and when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. It's the only phrase that appears in all the translations, all the um, versions of it in the different Gospels. Other bits pick up other things, but the only bit that's consistent is... And when they looked up, there was nobody there except Jesus. It's just about Jesus. It's just Christ central. It's just Jesus at the center of it all. It's about glimpsing him afresh. And then, out of that glimpse, hearing his voice. Joshua gets very detailed instructions. Some very weird things to do. There's some very courageous things that God's going to call us to do. There's some very dangerous things that God's going to cause us to do. But if it's just us dreaming them up, it'll be ruinous. But if it's us obeying his word, if it's us obeying the spirit, we'll be prosperous and successful in all we do because he said it. Not, oh, I've, Graham Pyman's threw up some crazy stuff for us to do. No, God speaks and we send those people to go. God speaks and that nation opens up. God speaks and that mission amongst the poor and the needy opens up. God speaks and that creative work happens. It's about him speaking and us being freshly obedient to him. I'll end with this verse. I love it. It's one of my favorite Old Testament verses about Joshua. It's, it's two verses really. It's chapter 6. And it's just, it's one of the verses, whenever I read it, it makes me laugh out loud. And it says this, now Jericho was tightly shut up. I mean, that is an understatement. It was a walled city, tightly shut up. And this is what God says, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands. <laughs> what do you mean, see? I don't really see it. Well, what, what eyes are you looking with? What ears are you hearing with? What heart are you obeying with? Because in this season, God's calling a radical people for radical discipleship and radical obedience to obey him in things. And I don't know what those things are. I don't know how he's going to encounter us tonight or tomorrow or the next day. But all I know is this. Joshua had already learned this. He'd already learned to see things with the eyes of faith. 40 years ago, he was one of only two spies out of the 12 that went into the land, him and Caleb, and they came back with a different report from the other 10. This is what the other 10 said. This is Numbers 13. This is the other 10 saying, just notice how the eyes are involved with this. All the people we saw there were of great size. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. I mean, how on earth do you know how you look to them? That's where their faith was. Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit. We can go up and take this country. We can do it. God can do it. 
See, when you encounter this Goliath of a figure who comes to you, who taunts you, who everyone else sees a mighty warrior, everyone else sees strength and power and authority, and David goes, look, there's a man that God isn't with. It's just a man that God isn't with. God's with us. We're the people of God. God's not with him, guys. God's not, he's not part of the circumcised family of God. That's what he means when he says this uncircumcised fellow. That's what he means. He's, God's not with him. He hasn't got the prom- We've got the promises. What do you see? What are you looking at? Today, and these couple of days, God's going to open eyes afresh. And it's going to be old treasures and new treasures, old things and new things to get hold of. What are you looking at? I'm going to ask the band to come back. We need our eyes open. And we need to freshly, we've called this conference, as we often call our conferences, our gatherings, devoted. This is devoted leaders, or leaders who are devoted, devoted leaders. But what are we devoted to? Yeah, we're devoted to one another, but we're devoted primarily to him. He's the one who's got our hearts. And I just want to call you in the last few moments of this meeting, I'd like to call you to stand if that's possible, if you're able to stand. I appreciate not everyone is. I have a disabled sister, so I understand perfectly well. Not everyone can stand. But if you can, stand. If you can't, stand in your heart. (laughs) And let's just devote ourselves to him. Lord, we feel like we're this in-between phase. We're in this grey zone. We've come out of something amazing in one sense, where it's been great provision, but the Jordan seems to have closed behind us and it seems like the manna's stopped. And Lord, it seems like you're calling us to act in a new way, with new eyes, with new faith, with new obedience, taking hold of your promises, being propelled and filled by your spirit, but primarily being men and women who give their hearts to God. Lord, you've got our hearts. Have our hearts, Lord. Have our hearts. It's your, we're yours anyway. We've been purchased. We've been redeemed. We've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus. We're, we've no right to give ourselves to you. You've bought us anyway, but we give ourselves to you, Lord, because we know we can try and live independently. We can try and live like it's wilderness time when it's promised land. And Lord, I pray these next days, may we encounter you, Lord Jesus, as the commander of the Lord's host. May we be transfixed, transfigured. May we be devoted afresh to you, Lord Jesus, and to your mission.